Boss Rush Video Game Book Club is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our family of podcasts, head on over to patreon.com slash bossrushmedia to see which tier is right for you. Thanks for your continued support. Hey everybody, welcome to the Boss Rush Book Club, a place where we can play and read better, or play and read games and be better. I think that's how it goes. I don't know. I'm your host, Patrick, and with me is my favorite co-host and author, Stephanie Klimov. How are you doing, Stephanie? Hey, I'm here to talk about an amazing game in a franchise that I've missed out on a lot, so I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited you're here, too. I was afraid that I was going to be doing this solo. No, never. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we found the only other person who's ever beaten this <laughs> Please welcome Black from Black Reviews Games. Uh, Block's Gaming Reviews. Sorry. Black Get it Games right, Patrick. Gosh. No one will ever find me. With, yeah, with... Black's Gaming no, Reviews. No, but, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Quick plug for um, Block, though. If you, you you guys haven't, you know, Block, maybe at the end of the podcast, please, you know, you know, tell us where people can follow you. I know I've listened and watched um, things that Block's done, and not only are they, you know, reviews and stuff, but they're also very comical. Block's a funny dude. Ah, true. Yeah, we, we enjoy the <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So as I mentioned, this is the Boss Rush Book Club. It is a awesome thing that we provide to you guys, our Patreon listeners, once a month, where we go deep in depth into a video game uh, that has recently come out or something that maybe you guys recommended. Uh, this time, though, we are going to be talking about Final Fantasy 16, and what a, there is a lot to kind of dive into and just kind of talk about this game. Uh, we are trying to do a slightly different format here instead of uh, kind of going by the events, uh, you know, and playing it that way. We're actually going to try and hit more focused topics. But, of course, we don't want to leave any of you listeners, if you haven't played this game, you know, feel free to check it out. But just know that there are going to be heavy spoilers. Spoiler warning. Warning. So warning. Play the game if you want to. If not, you know, stay tuned. And yeah. <laughs> So, let's uh, let's talk a bit about the plot of Final Fantasy 16. Stephanie, you uh, you just recently came off of this game, and I see that you have a bit of a synopsis that you'd like to share. So I was hoping maybe you could share it with us. Yeah, I really needed it because even though I've beaten the game, it, it you know throughout the game it kind of, it took me a while to kind of catch on yep. to a lot of the political uh, events in there. So. Um, for those that you that don't know, but Final Fantasy 16 was released. Was it June or July of this year, 2023? It was uh, June 22nd, I believe. Second, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I don't want to open up another window because I'm afraid Zencaster will crash. And um, made by Square Enix. So, Final Fantasy 16 is set in a fictional world called Valsthea, and there are two continents named Ash and Storm, and they contain magic crystals called Mother Crystals. Um, 
Pat, you want to take over just for a second? Yep. All right. So uh, in this uh, land of Velestia, there are five, uh, actually, there are more than five crystals. Uh, they're the, called Mother Crystals. They're about the size of mountains and such. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, they provide the world with magical powers. So uh, we uh, know that there are people who are blessed with magic, and these guys are called bearers. And then there's people who are not blessed with magic, and these are just your ordinary citizens. The bearers tend to be the like the ten percent of population that actually has the ability to use magic. The rest of the people have to use crystals that are mined from the mother crystals to be able to perform it. Mm-hmm. You play as Clive. He is a prince of a nation uh, called Rosalia, and um, he is um, gifted in magic, but he is not. Uh, he unfortunately was not chosen to be a dominant, um, which is some, which is a person who's able to hold the power of a very powerful being, almost like a godlike person. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kingdom, or the dukedom of Rosalia, worships or is uh, blessed by the phoenix, an icon mm-hmm. called Phoenix. Right, Steph. That is correct. Uh, much to the chagrin of his mother, um, Annabelle, which we'll talk about at length. And she also has another son, uh, Joshua. So in this flashback back then, Joshua is a child that's very sickly. I'm not sure what the sickness is, but, you know, it's a very delicate child. And Clive, because he's kind of looked down upon by the mother, he ends up being a a shield for Joshua or a bodyguard. And Clive trains with all the rest of the soldiers. And you can tell that Clive is well-liked by everybody. Um, Joshua looks uh, looks up to him. Clive has a friend that you kind of get a sense that will be a possible love interest named Jill. Jill is a ward in in the Rosaria Rosaria family. So all leading up to this event where Joshua needs to manifest the Phoenix at uh, Phoenix Gate. That's a place. Uh, But unfortunately, there was an ambush at Phoenix Gate. And many people were massacred, killed, including um, Clive and Joshua's father. Uh, Joshua ends up triggered by this, transforms into the Phoenix, and then... Clive doesn't know it, but Clive ends up ter- transforming into another icon of fire, Ifrit, which is almost like a dog-like demon, demon dog type animal. Mm-hmm. And you engage in a I- icon fight between the two, and unfortunately, Ifrit kills the phoenix, which is you know a little bit of you know a little bit of irony because you know Clive is not aware of what he has done. He only wakes up and understands that someone has killed Joshua, and he's going to spend the rest of his life avenging his brother's death, death to find out who's done that. So you know, fa- fast forward, um, Josh. Um, sorry, Clive ends up working. Um, he's branded. For the Sombrek, Sombrek, am I pronouncing yep, that right? The Sombrek soldiers, and he is scouting with some other soldiers to uh, observe. They have, they have the mission to uh, kill the dominant of Shiva. 
right Shiva, which ends up being Jill. So as soon as Clive realizes it's Jill, he deserts the army and, and, and stays with Jill. And he actually runs into another main character named Sid. So, you know, again, we'll go into characters later. Mm-hmm. Sid has this grand vision and he has a hideaway where people can live and die on their own terms. And that's a saying because the bears around the two continents are oppressed and they take in any bears that either manage to escape or run away. Um, kind of trying to speed forward a little, you know, Clive eventually learns through a battle with an antagonist, um, Benedicta, who has the icon Garuda. That's where he of wind. Ra- of mm-hmm. wind, correct. That's around the time where he discovers that he was a freak and killed Joshua. He has a bit of a crisis, understandably so. Uh, but Sid kind of, you know, talks him off the ledge, so to speak, and just, you know, kind of asks him to just keep searching, keep trying to understand the situation. And in the meantime, Clive, Jill, and Sid and team have decided that they need to destroy the nation's mother crystals. Mm-hmm. Yep, Sid uh, brings it to their attention that the uh, the mother crystal is what's causing this natural disaster called the blight. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what absolutely drying the lands complete of life. Uh, nothing can live there. Nothing can grow there. Everything is basically poisonous and mm-hmm. You can't even use magic in bladed lands unless you have crystals or uh, or you're an icon or dominant. So that Sid's grand plan is to rid the world of these mother crystals and they decide they want to take the first or start their journey to destroy the first one over in the Sam, uh, Sambrekian army or Sambrek's uh, kingdom. That's where um, we have an introduction of another antagonist or soon-to-be antagonist in typical Final Fantasy um, fashion, because there's never just one bad guy or bad person. Um, Some odd, odd, ethereal-looking face with blank eyeballs pops out of the Mother Crystal. Don't forget, naked, veiny, pale, and with four arms. Forearms. Yep, there's just a lot to this in this thing, individual, uh, and unfortunately, this is where you know Sid tries to you know protect Clive and everyone. And despite Sid summoning his icon, um, is it Rama? I'm not Ramu. sure if I'm Ramu. Rama. Rama no. of Elect- oh, Thunder. You're right. And unfortunately, Sid uh, dies in the process. And Clive, over the span of time, I think the story jumps five years, that Clive takes mm-hmm. over Sid's namesake and kind of oversees the hideaway. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, skip ahead. Five years, um, they are going around and trying to liberate bearers from the uh, Republic of... Um, Delmechia? Delmechia, the Delmechian Republic. And, and and, I, I don't know if it was mentioned that the the bearers become slaves to all of these nations mm-hmm. or, or and and it's seen in that way in that you have normal humans that do normal human things they can't use magic without the crystals um 
and all of that. But people that are born with that magic, they are much more powerful in that they can shoot fireballs, they can cause wind, they can do these magical abilities. But every time that they use magic, it drains their bodies, their life mm-hmm. essence. Just as the mother crystals are draining the life from the world, the 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 bearers named that way because of a brand on their 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 neck and, and they're bearing this um this brand um that signifies that they're magic users um you know it's draining their life force and so what happens is that each of these kingdoms most of them anyway it, it gets a little foggy in in rosaria and how they use them but essentially the normal humans who feel threatened mm-hmm. by these bearers will use them to you know will push them to use their magic as much as they can and then when they die at an early age most of them they're tossed mm-hmm. away they they become petrified yeah. um, and they're just tossed and they most of them don't think of bearers um, as human, um, which gets into a lot of slave um, and racial um, uh, tensions that we have in the real world. It becomes an analogy for that. Um, And that's also why Annabella, the the queen of Rosaria, um, feels this way about Clive. She's very, quote-unquote, racist, in her thoughts that these bearers um, are beneath humanity, that they're, they're cursed in a way that he's not good enough to be the dominant, a, a blessing. He only has a small fraction of power in her view. Mm -hmm. And so she thinks of her son as very um, just unworthy of the crown, unworthy of her love, unworthy of, of rights of humanity. And that's in, in part of Sid's mission and what Clive gets inducted, brought into is, is almost an underground railroad of rescuing and, um, and liberating these bearers. Um, but also in a grander scheme, as you've already said, uh, liberating everybody from this this um, crutch of magic that people shouldn't rely on the mother crystals on magic on dominance. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I, no, I just no, I no, thought that was important to understand that that next part. Oh, it it really is, and I just kind of find it ironic again. More contributes way more on why I hated Annabella so much, is because like, all right, B, like you look down on one of your sons because he, he's more of a bear type, and but and she favors Joshua because he's supposed to be the actual phoenix, but yet she ain't got no power herself. So, mm-hmm. but she's got the blood. I she know. Is, is the definition of one of those snobby nobles that are very stereotypical like in in her mind like it's okay well you know this game this game does borrow themes from game of thrones as well as other medieval uh times where if you were noble you tended to intermarry with your family so that you can keep your blood as pure 
as possible. And later in history, we find out that's actually making your blood a lot weaker, which could be one of the reasons why Joshua was always a sickly child is because he, uh, the king or the Duke of uh, Rosalia or Rosalia. Rosalia. Rosaria and uh, the Duchess Queen, uh, the Duchess Annabella, they're actually cousins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not that this fully fits right now, um, but to your point, Stephanie, on that, um, the uh, irony of that, and uh, I wrote this in my initial notes, is, is similar to the irony of Hitler in that Germans, purebred Germans, the greatest race as he would think of it would be blonde hair and blue eyed and yes. very big and he's not that mm-hmm. and it's actually a, a pretty good like comparison that you just drew yeah mm-hmm. wow yep. so actually, on to back onto the history here oh, uh, before we before we continue pat oh, sorry to interrupt I, I did forget to add a very important detail at the closing before the five-year jump because oh yeah while everything's happening, this creature, later to be named Ultima, is just trying to... Basically, he's like trying to inhabit Clive. Like He's he's seeing Clive as a vessel. This is the first that we're going to hear about that, but we're going to hear much more about it later. Out comes someone that looks a lot like Joshua, has the powers of a phoenix like Joshua, um, and he traps, captures... Mm-hmm. Jails Ultima in his chest, which hopefully you guys can help me understand later. Oh no, I think I get it. But anyway, I, I think you might understand. Yeah, no, no, I get it now. But yeah, so and then like Clive kind of sees it, but he's a little out of it. Just so, so we now see Joshua's not actually dead, which I don't know how that happened, but he's not dead. <laughs> the Phoenix rises. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Pat. No, I mean, we. Truth be told, we saw the phoenix get defeated, and yeah, even though we saw the neck get snapped, we never actually see Joshua himself, you know, turn to stone, which is what happened to uh, people like Benedicta and a few of the other dominants that get defeated. Um, But uh, yeah, so Joshua's alive, and now Clive kind of has an understanding that Joshua is not dead. Uh, so he, can he, he gets of, a feather of the phoenix. Yep, and, the uh, phoenix down. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or phoenix do you get high. that reference, Stephanie? Mm-hmm. I know she. I know you've only pl- played mm-hmm. ten and ten two. Ten and ten two. Yeah. Yep. So. No, phoenix down is uh, a feather. Yeah. So that's uh, or it, an it, item. Yeah, it's, that'll it's resurrect a, you. That resurrects people in Final Fantasy games, which this game actually doesn't have any because uh, there's no items. Yeah, <laughs> there's tokens, and if Clive dies, then that's it. Game over. <laughs> All right. Uh, so five years, um, five years later, a uh, bad guy named uh, Hugo Kolpka has been going on a rampage trying to find Sid because he believes Sid is responsible for the death of Benedicta which is the general that had the Gruta power who is also the lover of uh, Hugo 
and uh, as a lot of other people, the lover of Sid, former lover of Sid and of Barnabas. Barnabas, yep. Clive was going to be the Wednesday boy, and you know, if she could have had him, like it, it, yeah, she uh, she got she, around. She got around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Hugh Hugo's going around and trying to find. Uh, uh, trying to find his Sid, which is now Clive. Uh, eventually, he understands that, or he learns through Annabella that Clive is actually, or that Sid is Clive. And so, to get Clive into a trap, he attacks uh, Rosaria mm-hmm. and forces Clive to go back and try and save his homeland. Uh, there, Clive and Sid do a great big battle, and. Uh, not Clive and Sid. Hugo. Uh, Hugo. Thank you. Clive and Hugo, Clive who is Sid, fights Hugo in this grand old battle. Uh, it's a pretty awesome battle uh, using icon abilities, but not actually using icons. But then it ends with Clive cutting both of Hugo's hands off. Mm-hmm. And Hugo awesome. throwing a massive temper tantrum and then is carried away by some soft-spoken, gray-haired person silver-haired person. I'm like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, with that gone, uh, done, they decide to continue on their journey in uh, destroying these Mother Crystals. So they go to the Iron Kingdom and take care of the uh, one that is representative of fire. And that's where we get to learn a little bit of Jill and her uh, situation between um, the sacking of Rosaria and to the point where Clive frees her from her servitude as dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn that the Iron Kingdom is not a very good place, especially if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, they decide to go and uh, take care of the crystal that represents the Earth, uh, which is where Hugo has his little uh, his little fortress. His bachelor pad. Yep, his uh, fancy bachelor pad inside of a mountain, and it's there where Clive and uh, uh, Clive and Jill both. No, not Jill. Jill actually isn't part of that one. Yeah, she she's Jill. recovering. Mm-hmm. That's right, because Hugo did bad to Jill. Anyways, uh, so Clive goes and he uh, he fights Hugo again, but this time it is a battle of icons, and so we get our next major icon versus icon, uh, Ifri versus Titan, which we will most likely talk about here a little bit later. Uh, just point is, Ifrit wins, Titan is destroyed, Hugo is dead. And Move side note. Um, what I, I I did not understand why this was happening for the longest time, but as these events are occurring while you're playing through these missions, you also kind of have a a secondary story occurring. A lot of times it flips to meanwhile in the Holy Empire of Sembrek. Like you've got this king and oh, hello Annabella, you're here now with this child, which makes me queasy because the child's just like, I don't know, too young to be just so attached to mom. Like, it's just a little unsettling. Breastfeeding at his age. Yeah, so it was just kid that's well, very... And it's, it's like in Game of Thrones, the, uh, and I've, I've just forgot her name, but... Cersei. 
Cersei? No, no. Oh. It's um, the the <gasps> sister, oh, the crazy of, sister with the tower uh, and the uh, yeah, 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 Aerys. Yeah, because she breastfeeds right. in the book. She breastfeeds up until he's oh. a teenager. Um, oh. and, but it's it's a very uh, almost immediately um, that comes to mind if if you're familiar with with Game of Thrones. Just, yes, thank you. So that's what I thought of. Extremely coddled. <laughs> yes, and he, he's also holding a doll that's very has very suspiciously blue glowing eyes. Um, the king also has a son, Dion, and he is usually found in the battlefield, and he is a the icon of light, I believe it is. Hold on, hold on, I hold on. Ah, uh, it's a dragon. You got it, you got Help! It. Oh the my king gosh! Of dragons, Bahamut. Bahamut. Yes, I, I should know that. He's like one of my favorite, but like Bahamut. So he, it's just little snippets of like what's going on on that side. Um, Annabella wants to just. It's it's called a culling. Like just kill off all the bears. Dion is kind of not really trusting this lady, and he's starting to see his father kind of not behave like himself, kind of falling a little bit more of the direction of what the, the mother and the son supposedly want, which we'll get more details later. But back to you, Pat. Mm-hmm. And uh, this also just happens to be, these people just happen to be in the uh, city where the next crystal is because the original crystal in Sambrek, after it got destroyed, they decided to wage war with uh, a, another city and they win and they take it over. And uh, now they have their kingdom there. So uh, you go in search of this uh, for the next crystal. Of course, there's some uh, stories kind of like filler stories going on, uh, particularly about Sid's daughter and trying to build a ship and mid yeah good old mid we love mid but i that story was 100 percent wholly unnecessary yes <laughs> it was filler yeah uh just so that you can finally get to the point where you're um at the i'm trying to find out what this kingdom's name is uh, so, da, 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 are you da. thinking of waylude not waylude. The, the um the crystalline the dominion crystallized yeah. thank you yeah. yeah, the crystallized dominion, which is where the next crystal that they're going for. Uh, so they go straight over there, and uh, Dion also has made a plot to. Uh, he realizes that his father's not himself, and that the only way to keep the people alive and prevent his father from needlessly sacrificing many and millions and millions, <clears throat> as well as because his father wants to like. Oh, we have to call this land over here and call that one over here, and Dion's like. No, they surrendered. We don't need to do that. Uh, so Dion decides he's going to up, uh, upsert the throne. And uh, he goes and he starts attacking, but he also loses control. And um, Bahamut no longer is attacking strategic targets. He's actually trying to destroy the entire crystallized dominion. So enter Ifrit again, who's going to go and beat some sense into uh, sense into Bahamut. But well, he's not... And on that, I don't know if you were going to, because you, you don't know this at the time, that he was originally going to kill just one person, mm-hmm. yep. which was the new emperor, um, Olivier, who was Annabelle's, uh, Annabella's 
and and the emperor's son. So his half brother. Yeah, his ha- younger half brother. But uh, yeah, Joshua also happens to be over here at the Crystallized Dominion too because he's been trying to get a hold of Dion. Uh, to try and warn him about the plot of the ultimate evil or the ancient evil Ultima, uh, which uh, will match, which he'll appear here very shortly. But we get to see this awesome icon battle, not only with Efreet and Bahamut, but Phoenix with Efreet fighting Bahamut in space. In space. <laughs> in this big old thing that would make even Dragon Ball Z you know, applaud every, every modern Final Fantasy goes to space for, for some a moment mm-hmm. and they had to snip, slide this one in yep. oh, they're in space now for a moment <laughs> we're not sure how they're breathing up there but you know what, they had to, they had to do it because of like super lasers that Bahamut had and stuff like that, but hey uh, they finally managed to uh, beat down Bahamut. Uh, he, they just whittle him down enough to kind of wear him out so he's not turning to stone because he lost. Uh, but then uh, they find Olivier and Annabelle uh, in the destroyed ruins of the Crystallized Dominion. And Clive and Joshua reveal to Annabelle, but hey, we're both still alive. And Annabelle kind of freaks the fuck out. Well, and Annabella knew, well, she knew that Clive was to a point because she spared his life at Rosaria. They were going to kill him, and she has him turn into a bearer. And she later finds out through Hugo that he is actually Sid. Um, Mm -hmm. So she had a, a good idea that he was still living, but had no idea about Joshua. Yep. And uh, Dion walks in during the uh, the family reunion and uh, sees Olivier, but he doesn't see Olivier as Olivier. He sees him as Ultima. And so he throws his spear and pierces Olivier, who burns up in a black flame. So it proves that Olivier really wasn't human at that point. Well, then we... Uh, then, of course, Annabelle freaks out about this and decides... Rather than, you know, deal with any of this anymore, she just kills herself. Anticlimatically. It's gotta take the easy way out. Yep. And at this point, uh, they everyone retreats back, uh, back to the hideout, including um, Dion, who's greatly injured, but still alive. They decide, it's Clive and Jill, decide, and Joshua all decide to take him with to the hideout. Uh, it is at this point that Ultima decides to enact his great plan, uh, and he covers the world in darkness. Mm-hmm. That's that's his great plan. Which it's still light outside. It's like it's like twilight. But yeah, it's, it's like twilight. Not the sun the vampire. Is missing though. Yeah, you become sparkly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's unnerving, um, and. Uh, people like it's also causing this like ether that's been kind of rising up from the crystals like it's now out of control and so these things called floods are happening and people breathe in or get uh, like touch this ether they instantly kind of like turn into these monstrous 
uh, creatures. Um, the uh, what do they call them? They uh, are archaic. They're almost the Akashic. Akashic, thank you. They remind me a lot of the White Walkers. And I'm sorry, you Mm -hmm. know, I keep, I will and can be making Game of Thrones references. I feel like that's thrown around a lot, but it's appropriate. The the developer, the producer made everyone in that team watch Game of Thrones and used inspirations for it. There you go. There's a lot of um, dark fantasy elements. Mostly Game of Thrones, but a little bit of The Witcher, a little bit of like Dragon Age, a few other more modern dark fantasy elements, but but definitely Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Well, Ultima wants Ultima wants his body. He wants Clive as a vessel, and so he sends his. So it's everyone playing the game, by the way. Yeah, everyone (laughs) wants Clive for his body, and those pecs. Those beautiful, beautiful man boobs that he has. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. We could we could go on a debate, but I would prefer a different individual. But we can talk about that with favorite characters. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he sends off his right hand, Barnabas, who you've uh, learned that is knows all about Ultima and is in fact serving Ultima, uh, the continent of um, that well, he's dude. from. The continent. Oh, of Ash. not Ash. Sorry. Uh, are fervent worshippers of Ultima. Uh, and so uh, now you have a job to get over to the continent of Walud and destroy the last crystal that's remaining because you feel that by destroying the crystals, Ultima will lose. He needs mm-hmm. those crystals for something. Uh, then we get to uh, when we're about ready to launch a ship, we get into a really awesome battle between... Um, uh, she, uh, you, you run into the white-haired guy. You learn that is Sleepner, um, which is Odin's right hand or his horse, even though it's his horse in human form. And that uh, Sleepner is not actually a real human being. He can be duplicated as many times as Barnabas wants. So, uh, anyways, there's a cool fight with that. Then Barnabas comes out and he starts fighting and. They're on a very unwinnable fight because he has a sword that can literally rip through anything. Time, space, oceans, Shiva. He fights Shiva and Shiva loses. And therefore is captured. And that leads us to a great ocean battle where Clive eventually rescues Jill and uh, fights Barnabas at the bottom of the freaking ocean because Barnabas split the ocean with his damn blade it, Moses it, yeah it's like it, this is just a sign of just how freaking powerful Barnabas is that he was able to do this right and th- isn't this the fight that you lose no matter what yeah, uh, yes you lose this fight this is uh, Barnabas is a little bit too much for you and so uh, he's kind of done toying around and he decides uh to close the ocean so he gets away or he flies away with his flying galloping horse because he's also odin while the you have to run and try and beat the waves to the coast but then shiva uh, joe wakes up her shiva powers again and freezes the ocean that's coming around giving you at least a passage to the nearby coastlands but needless to say they're both very cold and wet so uh 
they decide they need to dry their clothes by a fire. Naked. And uh, use each other for warmth. Can I just tell you, I was impressed how long they were naked together before they even made out. I'm like, what? <laughs> These two beautiful young human beings went this long without doing it when they were right th- I don't know. I, just- I-, I would have been hitting it in the first second. Yeah, because like, well, here we are. <laughs> and to think that they've probably been together for like over, they've been together now for at least five years and they still like, this is probably the slowest relationship mm-hmm. that you could possibly see. Like, you know, they were both pining for each other and yet neither of them refused to make their move. I I, I was under the impression and, and I'll get to this later, I think, but that they kind of were in a relationship but they don't do a good job of ever like really establishing where they are because they're already saying very lovey-dovey things to each other up to that point but i feel but, like i felt like they were close but i feel like they weren't together no. they've yeah. never done it yeah, yeah it's 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 hard to it's hard to pinpoint that relationship but yeah there was a scene eons ago in the game where they were lying down looking at the sky and they mm-hmm. there was like this awkward pause where like they were thinking about if they should kiss but then they didn't so but i i mean and don't forget I, the uh, doctor's office too mm. when they were thinking yeah. about kissing and then um gab walks in <laughs> and stops it because gab obviously was jealous and wanted clive all to himself Yes, um, but I, I will say I appreciate them taking romance slow, generally speaking. But by then, again, if you're just chilling out on a secluded beach naked, like, let's go. <laughs> anyway, Let, let's warm up here. Yeah. Other ways, right? Yeah, plus Clive had his fire magic. He could have done that at any time, but no. He purposely made sure that they were both naked. Plans. That's my man, Clive. Hmm. Anyways, uh, they get around the next day. (laughs) And they start a plan to get to the actual crystal, which you wander through the kingdom of Walud. And uh, finally, you breach the uh, the kingdom. You find out everyone's basically been a Keshek at this point on the kingdom. Like, everyone... There's not really a single soul left on the, on the entire continent. There are a few, but they're mainly in side quests. Yeah. And there's a pregnant woman that Gavin <laughs> kind of gets attached to. I know, it's kind of random, but you know, it's all good. You know what? Gav needed a significant other at this point. Like, if you're going to keep Gav around, you know, at least give him a, a, someone to, to love. Everyone else has one. Give Gav one. Yeah. Even if she's pregnant with someone else's kid. <laughs> That's also like Game of Thrones. <laughs> yep. You know, with uh, um, Samwell Tarly. Mm. That's and, right. Gav yeah. is Samwell. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, Kingdom of Luge, you get to the crystal. Uh, or, no, before you get to the crystal, Barnabas traps you kind of in the center of the continent and you actually are forced to fight him in a battle that doesn't actually really use icons it's more of a sword to sword battle um like icons are briefly used 
but it's mostly you versus Barnabas in Odin armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like almost Odin armor, you know, because they all they have like where they they prime themselves, mm-hmm. um, and then they become full icons. And so he's like primed, um, but he doesn't. He rarely becomes full Odin, and and then it's a quick time event when he is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but other than that, he still has the black sword of mm-hmm. Odin. Mm-hmm. You know, can literally cut through anything. Uh, but you win. Yeah, you beat him, and uh, he's like, "Okay, I think you're ready for my master now." And so you go to the kingdom of Walud, finally find the crystal. You're attacked by a whole bunch of Akeshic, and out pops every hero, you know, in existence to come and save you. Dion, Jill, Gav, a whole bunch of other people like your uncle. You're, you're crazy. crazy. Oh, people. I love that uncle. Uncle Byron. Uncle Byron. Yep. And so they're distracting the Akeshic, and you go to the you go and open up the door just to find Ultima standing right there, and he warps you right into the crystal. That way he can tell you his history of where he comes from and why you're important to his plan. So to quickly do... Just laying on the exposition really hard there. It's like a Bond villain. Like, let me tell you my master plan before I kill you, Mr. Bond. (laughs) Before I take over your body (laughs) Mm -hmm. and do whatever I want with it. Ooh. We all know uh, all (laughs) for uh, Clive as well. Everyone was. That's that's the thing about these square games is everyone's thirsting for the main villain or for the main character. They, they, they everyone's just so pretty. Yeah, uh-huh. they are beautiful. <laughs> Ultima is like There's the not only... a ugly person <laughs> in the in except the... for Ultima, maybe except for Ultima. They made him personally ugly, all white and veiny and bony and and great abs. Although, like. In the final fight, when he like, I don't know, is more. He's whole. more beautiful in the final. It's fight. almost like Sephiroth beautiful, almost not as beautiful. Yeah, I, I got a, I got a theory behind that. Ooh, um, okay. But yeah, he he goes Ultimalius over to Malleus was his name there. Mm-hmm. Yep. He uh, he goes uh, he he explains that he is actually God. That you know he wasn't pretending. He actually is God. He created the humans. Uh, he originally landed onto this. We found this land uh, because they, his people destroyed their own land. They were suffering from a blight as well, and so they found the perfect land, Valistea, and he planted crystals so that this untamed land of ether could finally, you know, like all the ether would go into the crystals, and the land would become perfect. And then he created humans so that they would continue to cultivate the land and eventually one would become strong enough to be his body because he had to, when they left the land, they had to forego his body. Right. And it had something to do with, because this whole time Clive was absorbing the powers of every icon that he had come uh, across. So he had a little bit of Garuda, a little bit of, the others, Bahamut, Bahamut Titan, uh, Shiva, exactly. And I think this vessel is to prove that 
um, he can handle casting a massive spell. Yeah, because right. uh, Ultima is a god, and he needs to be sure that if he puts his power into a human, that the human isn't going to turn to stone absolutely immediately right. uh, because of the overwhelming power. Uh, so that is why Clive has been, he's sent Clive to go and destroy the crystals and to gather all these powers is to make sure that Clive was ready. Uh, Clive, of course, of course, refuses. This pisses off Ultima and is like, well, I will take you by force then. You fight him, you win, you destroy the crystal. You think Ultima is completely gone, but no, he's not. He's He's very much well alive you very much completed his plan and uh then he goes back to the destroyed magic dominion and raises it up to the sky and creates a gigantic floating crystal up there called the origin all called the origin crystal and it's really like sucking all the ether out of uh it, it's accelerated the blight like a hundredfold Right. And this is essentially the end game, so to speak. It's the, well, you better do everything you want to do before you go up there. Because once you go up there, it kind of unleashes that those final chain of events. That point of no return that luckily games are now warning you before you reach yeah. it. Uh, so at this point, you could do a whole bunch of side quests, uh, which flesh out the rest of the characters out there. Uh, but then uh, you, uh, Dion. you as in Clive, Joshua, and Dion are chosen to be the final party, mostly because Dion can fly mm-hmm. with his Bahamut powers. Um, and they decide to go fly up to the crystal, leaving Jill, Gav, and all the rest of the people behind. We get uh, we get a touching farewell uh, among all the uh, main characters who are all kind of standing around, being like, "Okay." This is this is your final battle, you know. Make sure you come home alive. And the one with uh, Jill is very touching. Like mm-hmm. they they put their foreheads together and they admit each other that they love them, each other. Ugh, that, about you know, time. Gosh. And then Clyde promises that he'll return to her. Then they have sex right in front of everybody. <laughs> yes, they do. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so then they all decide to do the dramatic leap off uh, balcony, uh, where then Dion turns into a Bahamut and they like fly off to the origin. Imagine if they would like mess Bahamut <laughs> at that moment. I thought that like they fall if it, black water and probably be dead. They they die. And leave. <laughs> you know, and Dion's like, oh shit, I miss. That's the Fancy Seven uh, death song. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, they fly to the Origin Crystal. We get the really cool cinematics of uh, Bahamut fighting a, one billion uh, Akashic flying enemies that or- Origin spews out. Mm-hmm. And then they go into Origin, see the floating city. Um, they have a fight with uh, Ultima in his uh, icon form, which uh, looks like Ifrit. It's a black Ifrit with wings. And uh, the battle leaves uh, Dion gravely wounded. Uh, Dion pulls off one last attempt, uh, injures Ultima, 
gets Clive and um, Joshua to safety and then falls to his death. He says, Father, it is done. Just Peace like out. Jesus Christ. Uh, he has been redeemed. Mm-hmm. And then we get a whole bunch of uh, fights uh, with Ultima again, kind of goes back into his whole spew of like, you know, this is how everything is. You know, this is what's going to happen. We find out that Ultima is not just one, but he is like eight different forms of himself, including the one that's in Joshua's chest. That is why Ultima can exist and still be in Joshua at the same time. Oh, man. Each mother's legion. Yeah, each mother crystal had its own version of Ultima in it. So uh, they he absorbs all those forms, including the one in Joshua's chest, uh, which rips out of Joshua, leaving him mortally wounded. And uh, you know, but not before Joshua passes on the Phoenix icon over to uh, Clive, so that he can be Ifrit. Uh, I think Efeet Reborn or Efeet... I forget risen? what... Uh, thank you. Efeet Risen. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we keep you around, Steph. Because <laughs> you have all the answers. Random answers, anyway. Yep. And then we fight a practically hour-long battle. Pretty of much. Earth, Ultima. And it's like 5,000 forms. Perfect form and now he's beautiful he's got golden hair and like his muscles are even bigger now and, and like sho- like floating shoulder pads or whatever they were with like wings on them yeah. and uh, you fight that form and then he goes back into his Efri um, form again and you're like literally fighting in like the space time and like every single attack could probably destroy a galaxy that you know each, you're each like throwing at each other like mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah televisions explode yeah um, it's literally- the playstation 5 catches on fire <laughs> um, that's a big bang it's a it's, lot of uh, colors it's, it was a very wonderful spectacle and then once you do that he gets into one more final form uh, but it's like his old form but this time he has a helmet in it uh, which somehow makes him more powerful. But he, uh, this version of Alta Ultimus, Ultimalius, um, Ultimalius. Thank you. Uh, he uses each one of the icon abilities, and so you kind of have he rotates through those abilities uh, for the first third. Then he rotates another three abilities for the second third, and then for the final third, it's just strictly uh, Phoenix and Efreet abilities that he uses and uh then you finally beat him uh he's like absolutely shocked like this is finally the one time ultima shows any emotion because he's as like emotionless as a computer like he's he's Mm -hmm. a very bland spoken villain except very very alien otherworldly and and like you said kind of robotic yeah Um, the, the lack of emotion and things, I think, it certainly um, goes to show how inhuman he is. Mm-hmm. But you finally land the final finishing blow, and uh, Clive decides to take, like, Ultima says, leaves with the final threat that 
you nothing's changed you know i may be dead but your world's also dead as well so clive takes in ultima's ability so instead of ultima controlling clive it's now clive controlled ultima but the, at that moment he realizes that his body is not strong enough to contain ultima so it, w- it would have been interesting to see if ultima did actually succeed in clive would ultimately have actually gotten anywhere with it because uh-huh. Clive's body is immediately failing. Uh, so he d- takes two, uh, he does two things quick. First, he heals Joshua using the abilities that he got from Ultima. He revives the wounds because I guess Joshua wasn't fully dead yet, just mortally wounded. And then he uses the, uh, the power of Ultima and destroys the origin crystal and thereby reverting the whole, like, literally destroying magic altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I, I took it that he had the 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 full power of the phoenix at that yeah. point of, of all the icons, and so that way he was able to um, fully bring Joshua. But he could probably bring anybody back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. he only has the power, the 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 energy. Yeah. Um, to kind of do it once, um, you know, he can't yeah. do too much. So, yeah, the the power was already eating inside him. He used he basically used it, like a full blast of everything he had to destroy the origin crystal, and then we see uh, the next scene is him washing up to the beach. Uh, you know, you're like, oh, hey, he is alive. That's cool. But then you see his hand, like, is mm-hmm. petrified. And uh, you just see him lying there, like... Staring at the moon. Staring at the moon that he promised to see with Jill. Mm. And uh, the petrification is eventually going to take him. Uh, Then it flips over to the hideaway where we see Jill. Um, Jill all of a sudden gets that understanding that Clive is no longer there. She breaks down, runs, uh, runs kind of more to a secluded area uh, where Torgal meets her and, you know, kind of comforts her. And then we get the credits. And then there's an after credits scene. Yes. So then there's a, a, um, a post credits scene where you have these two children that kind of look like um, Clive and Joshua. Not, not exactly, but one's an older with dark hair, one's younger with, with blonde hair. Um, and they're playing out in their yard. Um, and they're kind of reenacting parts of the game where one is Ifrit and one's the Phoenix. And they, they kind of kick a ball or throw a ball and it bounces into their house. And their mom is there she's cooking and the older one runs in and she she asks him to light this the fire on the stove and she hands him a stone and and you would think from playing the game that she's handed him part of the crystal which he will use the crystal the the magic within the crystal to light the fire but instead, he does it the old-fashioned way of hitting it, um, and, and, and you know, it was creating a- fire <laughs> without magic. Um, and he mentions he's like, um, you know, it'd be so much easier if I had the 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 magic of, of the icons or of, of 
of Ifrit or um, whichever. And the mom's like, those silly stories that you're reading. Like, magic's not real. You know, and he runs back out and we see a book um, on the table that he's been reading. And it's just simply titled Final Fantasy. And it's written by Joshua Rossfield. Um, And so it leaves you with two questions. Um, Either the entire game is fiction. Um, that um, it's fiction within the game, and it exists solely as this book, and and all of that. Or most likely, I think, um, you know, is that when Joshua was resurrected by Clive, he chronicled everything um, as like a history. Um, within the book, but now it's been so long that we no longer, that the people no longer know of, of that, that lost history, that the lost history of the world has become uh, fantasy, it's become fiction, um, which, you know, uh, it kind of echoes to how in reality, you know, our, it would be as if um, the Greek gods fully existed and walked uh, 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 there in all these fantasies and myths that we have with like the Greek gods and, and other ancient um, texts um, were, were fully real, um, were factual, not allegories, not fantasies, um, not entertainment, but, but real. And so, you know, for someone with a childlike imagination, like this young boy, this is reality, um, or he wishes it to be reality. And for other people, it's 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 a fantasy, it's a fairy tale. Um, but regardless, that doesn't matter. Um, there's still lessons to be learned. There's still um, things that can be. Um, discovered about their present day, our present day, our reality from that, that we know that it's not real. Um, We're playing the game, that we are the one reading the book, playing the game, watching the movie, um, and that no matter what is going on in that fantasy world, we can learn something and, and take from it. That magic uh, can exist um, in, in some ways, maybe not from a crystal stone um, where you can light fires, but there's something that you can take away from that. And I think that's the whole message at the end there is that, you know, it doesn't matter um, if it really happened or not, the story still remains. That is super deep. I know. I'm like, whoa, mind blown. I'm like, I don't even know if I have anything to follow up with that. And, and, and you know, and, and it's very reminiscent of, and I won't spoil this on too much. Um, <laughs> this is a but, spoiler. Yes, go but, ahead. <laughs> but the like the end of the Matrix Three, um, 
has that same thing. The end of Mass Effect 3 has that same thing. Um, You get into um, kind of the extended version of the end of Lord of the Rings, where Sam writes the Lord of the Rings, um, that you get this same thing. And this this repeats in a lot of things. And go back to Game of Thrones, where Sam, uh, Sam Well writes the history of the Game of Thrones. And um, and if you want to connect it even further with Game of Thrones, um, the um, House of the Dragon, um, the book form of that, which is not called House of the Dragon, um, exists as, a, as a, a history that someone has written but there's there's lines blurred there that they don't they're like well legends say that this guy survived this battle but we really don't know and so when you watch the show you get the full real real story behind it um so it all goes back to in reality that that a lot of times we don't know history we can make that guess we can take um we can take educated guesses. We can see what logically makes sense. Um, but that doesn't mean that if if uh, Medusa existed or not, we can still learn lessons from her story. Um, and that goes for any religion, a religious story, that you can still learn anything from Jesus' story to Muhammad's story to, to the Buddha to Hindu fables and any stories like that. that, that those, it, it doesn't matter if it existed or not um, for a lot of people in a lot of circumstances. Well, um, it's going to matter to me. Steph, do you think this existed? I, I, I think it did, not because I have any proof or anything like that, but I, I would like my reality to believe that it had existed. Um, I do like that trope of a character writing what had happened, and I feel like it carries more weight because one of the biggest, you know, biggest themes that I took away from it was us humans. We're, you know, we're we're not meant to have things really more powerful than we can handle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see how magic and and people with who have icons like that could s- cause con- like j- colossal damage in the land, and and. You know, people fight over it, right? There are wars, there are there's slavery, prejudices, all because we, we got this extra special power. So it makes me feel like, wow, if, if we, like in our real earth right now, all of a sudden some of us had magic, I'm pretty sure some, sim- like, what's going to happen will be kind of almost like Final Fantasy in a, in a strange sense. Mm-hmm. There will be some, some level of prejudice, w- whether one way or the other, oppression, wars, people utilizing the magic to destroy each other. So I'd like to think that it did happen. It got obliterated, you know, from that world, Valisthea, and you now see the fruits of Clive and Joshua and everybody's labor where, you know, we now have a non-magic society, so I would ultimately, like- ultimately, Sid's vision come yes. true. Yep, he 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 did see that there were going to be hardships, but he honestly believed that there was the better route than letting the crystals drain <clears throat> life right. out of 
everyone. And I think Clive said, and I forgot if it was who he said it to, he says, you know, we this is going to be hard. We might not see it in this generation or even the next generation, but something will come eventually. So that's why I feel like, you know, it would mean more to me just from my perspective if it was the latter theory block where it had happened and it just was a true uh, historical work that n- now the people think it as a fairy tale or fiction. Because I'm not a fan of another similar trope of where, oh, this whole thing was a dream. Like if the mm-hmm. whole thing was made up. I'm not saying I would hate it. I would still accept it. It's still a, a way to tell a story. It's just not my favorite. I'd like to think that whatever I spent countless hours on did occur. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the sacrifices of the characters that were made, that sacrifice that they made meant something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's what I think. Again, not because I have some firm proof, but more of kind of how I'd prefer to see everything pay out. How about you, Pat? No, it, I, th- I think that's definitely a good, uh, good thought into it. Like, honestly, if someone told me that none of that happened, it'd make the whole, like, for me, the whole, like, 80-hour journey, like, almost feel kind of meaningless. I don't know. That's kind of my opinion. But uh, <laughs> since, since we are on this, uh, you know, topic of how the game ended, like, how do we feel? Like, do we feel like this game ended the way it should? Do we think that, you know... Did Clive necessarily have to die? Um, like, how, how do you feel about the ending overall? Uh, I think. Oh, no. sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no it's, it's okay. I, I go for it, Block. I think it 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 it, it certainly works. It's very poetic uh, in a lot of things that he is this most powerful being that sacrifices himself rather than, um, you know, we've already discussed like his body may not have been able to handle Ultima's power, even if he accepted it willingly, Um, you know, that his, the vessel of his body wasn't formed, right? Like that, that part, that part gets muddled. Um, there's there's a lot of parts that I th- think do get muddled um, by the end. That there's it's not not all strings I think are fully wrapped up um, to my satisfaction. But I think for ultimately the that that Clive choosing to sacrifice himself for the better of humanity. Um, it was very much like how Sid does, um, you know, all the Sids um, that, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of what a hero does, that he, he's, he's, he, he's not selfish. Um, he's thinking of the greater goal, and he believes that the greater goal for that to be achieved is for him to... Um, he has the ability right then and there and only then and there to end this cycle. Um, you know, and it gets very, I think, Eastern, um, thinking of the cycle of suffering, Mm -hmm. the cycle of this, you know, people are born into sin, into this world of suffering, and he's able to, um, escape that um, and giving a, everyone else a chance to escape that reality as well. 
Um, you know, I, I think it just has that. You know, it's not exact to 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 Hindu and Buddhism, um, but certainly has those um, markings of those kind of thoughts, especially Buddhism in that in that sense of of a life of suffering that and that suffering being magic, um, and he's able to to release that. Um, so I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Steph, what do you think? Overall, I I was all right with the ending. I wasn't scratching my head going, huh, WTF. I, you know, I, I left feeling satisfied for the most part, although I do feel that I also could be fine. And this is more of a preference, right? So hold your horses, everyone. I don't think Clive had to die, but that's just me. And it's not because of his pecs, um, only because... I've already seen a lot of sacrifice in the game, and for that reason, that if Clive were to live, I wouldn't think of it as a cop out. Because sometimes some, you know, people don't like the happily ever after type endings, and I get it. The reason why it made me think of it was, you know, Sid died, and that was a sucker punch to my gut. I love Sid. I'm like, all right, Clive's going to be carrying that torch, and he promised Jill. He promised. He promised. Damn it, he promised. So. It's not a critique of the ending. It's just that I I feel that there is some wiggle room where they could have, like they, they could have kept them. Like there was a lot of sacrifices already, but I don't know. The writing's on the wall with the two brothers taking turns almost being dead. I'm like, ah, it's a highly unlikely scenario. Both will come through. Uh, kind of stinks. Did we even see much of Joshua's reaction? I don't know why. I remember Jill's reaction to the news very clearly, right? Yeah. Like, I remember the scene. It was very vivid, and I cried. I can't recall if I saw Joshua's reaction. I don't know if it's because either it wasn't there or it wasn't memorable uh, enough. It was Joshua's reaction wasn't there because we we left Josh unco- Joshua unconscious on. Hey, yeah, he, he heals him, and then he carries him out of frame. Mm-hmm. And then you see the the big crystal, um, kind of okay. disintegrating, and yeah. then you know Clive wakes up on the beach. So. Okay, all right. So I'm not crazy. I do feel though. It, I I feel like you know the brotherly bond. I kind of wish we kind of could see anything of Joshua because the post credit scene had Joshua's name. So I'm like, oh, you know, Jill had a great relationship with Clive. Joshua, like, those are the two people that Clive had the closest connection to, in my opinion. So I feel like... And Torgal. Yeah. No, I I feel like Joshua's connection would have been very uh, hurt, especially because Joshua, like, sacrificed himself for his brother, but then his brother kind of reverts that sacrifice and says, no, you're the one that's going to live for this one. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of but, then, Pat, how about you? How do you feel about the ending? Yeah. Um, I, overall, it was poetic with the rest of the themes of the game. Uh, I, I'm one of those people, though, that feel like you do not need to kill off the main character um, all the time. And th- that seems to be a theme going on now with Final Fantasy is to mm-hmm. end the game, we kill off the main character. Um, I felt really, really... I, I guess I felt I didn't like that part because mostly with Jill, 
Uh, I, I played the side quest that had Jill and her story of like not like having trouble relying on people because people always disappear from her life. And then, you know, finally finding that, uh, that stone in Clive and, you know, feeling like she can finally like be like, be emotionally attached to something, um, to be able to feel again because of Clive. And now, you know, that's ripped again from her. Like, I felt that Jill was unnecessarily, like, just brutalized throughout this entire game. Uh, maybe that's more my personal feelings. Uh, with- no, I think you're right on that. Yeah. yeah. Draw- drawing I- out Jill is a... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that this theme of a bittersweet ending mm. um, with a major character doesn't always have to be the main character but a major character dying and it's very dark fantasy mm-hmm. again back in the in the realm of witcher and game of thrones and, and that's certainly kind of the hot way of doing fantasy stories right now you know even the the, the latest um rings of power um leans more heavily into dark fantasy than than high fantasy or um the, you know the the Amazon Lord of the Rings show mm-hmm. um, yeah you know that's and I think that it goes into that the it's more real um for a lot of people people recognize that um, they can re- relate to those kind of emotions whereas high fantasy like traditional Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and things is a lot more feel good um, or um, some religious undertones of things, you know, you get with, with Narnia um, and those kind of things. There's a lot of it that's feel good um, and triumphant and dark fantasy is very gritty and it hurts. Um, But I will say the way they drew Jill's character, it's one of the few romances that I actually want to see play out. Because again, you know, like mm-hmm. not this is an extreme opposite. When you're thinking of the nineties Disney, it's like, oh, live happily ever after. Okay, okay, whatever. No, here I'm like, you know what? I feel like Jill actually deserves it. Like so yeah. again, like- not not criticizing what Square has done. Like I think it the ending is fine, but I'm just saying like I would not have been bothered because it's there's still some bittersweet portions. There's still thousands of people that died. Maybe Clive could have been disabled, whatever. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm you know, I'm not the writer. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one that made the story. But I, I do feel like there is wiggle room to keep in theme because they and this is actually more of a compliment to Square of how well they drew out Jill's character. I actually felt like she deserved more. Yeah. I, 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 I certainly agree that I want to see more of their relationship. Um, and I, I think there, there's a lot of positives to that, but also, uh, like, I, I'm not happy with how they've done their relationship because there, there's so much of it. Like, you know, you go for several years in games, so like we don't know where, where their relationship yeah. really stands. You get snippets of things like you know that they care about each other so but you don't get it it feels unfinished it feels like there's a lot of things that were cut 
from that. And Final Fantasy is so well known for having really great romances at times. Um, you know, especially with like Squall and Renoa um, and uh, Titus and yep. Yuna. That's um, the best. You know, you have, um, you know, every most Final Fantasies um, after from six onward um, have a really good relationship, some better than others. Um, and this, you know, certainly fits in there, but it, it feels unfinished to me. Um, I, I don't think that I think Jill deserved more and deserved a little bit better um, throughout the whole game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if she would have had more moments in game that um, really brought her up more, um, I would be more satisfied with the ending. But, but as you said, she, she's, you know, there's a lot of moments where she gets knocked down a whole lot. She's beat up a whole lot. She ha has it rough. Um, and we have her moment in the Iron Kingdom, which is really good. Um, but I still, I'm, I'm left kind of wanting, um, wanting to see more um, from her. Yeah. Well, that's actually might be a good transition, Pat. Do you think this would be great yeah. to start talking about favorite characters? Well, I was thinking about characters that we'd love to see get beat up. Oh, that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about a lot of Final Fantasy games tend to have a uh, ha tend to have a very solid antagonist that tends to you know rule like bother the hero throughout most of the game. However, Final Fantasy sixteen, even though Ultima was the big bad. It seems like we had multiple antagonists that each kind of took their turn, uh, whether it be Benedicta in the beginning or whether it be Ultima at the very end. You know, each one kind of had their, like, section of the story. And so who would you say was probably the best of the antagonists? Uh, Steph, why don't we go with you this time? Hmm. So... For as far as favorite antagonists, I would say for me between Queen Empress Annabella and Ultima, and I say with the exception of Annabella's death, I just thought it was a cheap way out. It's not out of the realm of realistic possibility for someone to go do that, but mm -hmm. she's very Cersei-like in a in a way that she. Oh, right from the first few minutes of the game where she appeared, I hated her guts and how she mm -hmm. not only mistreated her son, but she was so she she was actually a big player in a lot of what went on in the human part of the realm, even though she wasn't a major attack. Like you didn't fight her, right? She wasn't a boss. So, but I still felt just if you're talking about villains and heroes, I mean, she was actually a, quite a fantastic villain that I love to hate. I just wish oh, she had yeah. a much worse, more cruel death. So that's why I liked her is because she, I mean, granted, it's a, it's a very extreme version, but like I can see people in real life behaving like her, obviously, but to a smaller scale, like not an mm -hmm. empress or whatever. Like what she d did have like real human motivation. Mm -hmm. They can carry out some pretty evil shit by doing so. Like because she can be so real, a person 
in our world can behave like that is why I, I kind of say she's the crown villainess here, even though, again, she plays yeah. a minor role, so to speak, in the big picture. And the reason why I like Ultima is not because he's the final big bad, but I did find an interest that, wow, he wasn't like a false god in the game or a pretend to be god. He actually, he was literally the god of the game. So I was like, oh, wow, okay. Because I don't really see a lot of that. I see a lot of like false gods or people pretending to be a god to manipulate people. No, this is an actual god framed kind of like the Greek gods, right? Not like the Catholicism, Judaism, Islam, yeah. where... He it, did not care about his human race at all. And exactly. That's it, his fault. <laughs> exactly. So he had faults like Greek gods have faults, because that's kind of what they were known for. So I really dug kind of Final Fantasy's version of a deity that clearly had a fault, was actually very selfish, um, and just had this master plan and to see his own creations defy him it is it's is i don't know it, it impressed me i i found it at a very very interesting uh subject matter so those are my two favorite villains of the story even though there's a lot of other great villains not a fan of benedicta and hugo i just felt like they're so childish i just couldn't blech, yuck someone go next and sorry if they're your favorite villains. <laughs> well, I, I, I certainly agree with Annabella um, and her her personal evil that that it, you know she hates Clive for who he is, um, and uh, you, you know it's a very personal, um, very real kind of hatred, you know, uh, and not to to dwell on this much, but you know I relate to it. You know, as someone who was raised by their their grandparents, of this feeling of parents, you know, not fully wanting their child or something like that. So, it, you know, it, it's a very real kind of thing. Um, I, I think her her suicide works just because it plays into her cowardice mm. um, that you know she can't fight. She can't do anything without other people there. When it's just her, she chooses the coward route. She doesn't seek. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't have the strength to stand judgment. She doesn't have the strength to to look Clive in the eye and and realize her mistake. She will rather die by her own hand um, than admit her mistakes. Um, and that everything her her children are not really children to her as much as almost prized possessions that they are tickets to a greater life and legacy that through her great children who will be emperors and and dukes and dominants and very powerful people um it is through them that her legacy will live on, that she will be written in the books as the mother of these great people. Um, um, and, you know, I, I think that's what makes her suicide work for, mm. in this case. It's not satisfying um, as a viewer. 
Um, like you don't want that. You want her to want a trial, and you want, you know, you want her to to suffer in that way. And, and no, it's it's very. She, she's a cowardice. Um, um, so I think that works. I think Benedicta. There, there's things I like about Benedicta, and there's things I don't. Um, and I put her in my. Um, in this weird category of, of good character and bad character. And, and I'll touch on this for a second. Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, she, there's something about powerful women, I think, um, of evil women that are, that is just very alluring, um, that we like, um, at least I do. And I think a lot of other people do. The, the, there's just something about them. Um, if they're done in the right way, and, and part of Benedicta's done this way, she's very cat-like in her appearance. Um, you know, she's both um, very strong and powerful, and you know, she has the long cigarette holder. Um, you know, she's kind of sexy and sultry, but also very cunning and evil. Um, and so for a lot of people, I think that catches you. You know, she's very vain and dangerous, but uh, and she uses her charms and things to her advantage. We see that with the relationships that she has with all of these people. Um, and you have a little bit of a tragic backstory there where she's an orphan on the streets and she's a nobody um, and she doesn't want to be a bearer. Um, cause she, she knows she has some magic abilities and she's been in hiding and keeping that a secret, but then she finds out she's a dominant and suddenly, and we get this, that this strange dynamic in the game where bearers are slaves to be spit upon and they're dirt and they, we can, well, use them until they're dry and they're dead, but she's a dominant and she can you know, win entire wars with her, her magic. And she's elevated to this, this place where she can have relationships with the king, um, with Barnabas. And we see how, uh, in that brief flashback with Sid, um, before she gets to this, this prestige, who she was then, and then how that power that that the money, the wealth, the fame, and all of this changes her, um, you know. But what I don't like, what I think would have made me love her character, uh, and they don't do this, is that when she stripped of Garuda's power at one point, and you feel how devastated she is, how broken she is. Um, you know, and she wonders, like, how can she even exist without having, like, she she's tasted the 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 the, the fruit, and mm. now she can't have that. She's tasted wealth and fame and power. She she used to command armies, and now she's nothing. She's going to be, you know, in her mind, like, well, she be branded and used as a slave. That's or or she's just beneath that, you know. So yeah, she then just kind of lets her fear. You know, make her lose the absolute lose control. And, and then she gets Garuda back. Yep. And, you know, she goes crazy and is destroying everything. And then we kill her. Yep. And I think that's what 
I don't like is that we don't get that arc. Her arc kind of gets there and, and it's gone. And so you don't get those answered questions. And then I don't like at all what we get after her death is that we only see her um, after that fight um, in two, almost three occasions. One is that her head gets delivered to Hugo, uh, which I don't understand. Like, why would Sid do that? Uh, or was it Sid? Did. I don't think Sid did, but... 100% that was Barnabas that did that. Barnabas yeah. was leaving her. Uh, Which is yeah. actually going to be my villain of choice here. Um, uh-huh. Just because, like, there's something... Barnabas was one that was always manipulating the scenes from the background, um, I feel. And then when he finally did step out, we realized just how powerful he mm-hmm. was. Like, even though mm-hmm. he was driven kind of by a little weird craze and a mother fetish, maybe... Yeah. That, that was kind of a weird scene why Ultima appeared as his naked mom. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's just something like Barnabas was powerful and he wasn't afraid to show it. Like, mm-hmm. he was the one thing that kept his kingdom just absolutely feared by all the other kingdoms or all the other nations was his ability to be Odin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Let's see, we got about maybe 15, 20 minutes here. I, I do want to hit on our favorite icon battles. Um, uh, sorry, I had one more point okay. on that um, that I think is really important, and I'll make it brief, is that you know we get her head um, sent to Hugo, but then we also see her appear. Uh, it's Ultima using her body uh, as a vision appearing nude to both Hugo and later Barnabas. And it just, for me, it, it, it's very, like, she they use her body in depth as only to be maimed and unclothed and to bring out in other men uh, a, a lust and rage and jealousy all in one. And it just, it doesn't, it, it, it feels... Um, I don't want to say sexist, but it uses her in that way that we we view her in that way in death. So I don't like that. Yeah. No, she probably could have been treated a little better here. Uh, so icon ability or icon big old giant kaiju battles. Let's uh, let's just kind of do a quick uh, bullet like yeah, quick round robin. Quick round robin, Steph. Who was your favorite battle? My favorite battle was with Titan. I, I uh, you know, with um, Bahamut being a close second because, dude, that fight in space was just so much. I think as far as an epic standpoint, I do like the one with Bahamut. But as far as like actual gameplay and just enjoyment, I do. Uh, I preferred the uh, Icon battle with Titan. Yeah, that that was pretty sweet. Just, just like how huge that battle was, and like just gigantic and. Even though you didn't really do too much, like against the Mega Titan or whatever the final Titan form was, it was still yeah, Titan t- lost. I think is what yeah. I yeah. You're like this big. <laughs> Play on Atlas lost. I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, it, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Black, what was your favorite? Um, other than Titan, because that, that certainly brought to mind 
put God of War 3 with Kratos against Kronos. Um, you know, you're fighting mountains, essentially. But I, I think the end battle with Ultimalius, the final form, um, I think it does good as, as, as a final battle in that it's the most complex, dizzying, awe-inspiring visually um, in the game. Um, and it forces you to use everything that you've mm. learned to that point. Um, and he's throwing all of these different moves. He's changing repeatedly. Um, I, I think it's a good bookend um, uh, for the game. And not all games can can give a satisfying final boss. Yeah. I, I, I like. It was hard to see what was going on at times. There's way too many, you know, I, I th and I think this is a point throughout the whole game is that there's just a lot of grandeur um, kind of um, more flash than substance in was part. Your attack was his attack. It's like, yeah, like my wife was watching me and she was like, how do you know what's going on? I was like, I don't. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm looking at the life bar. If mine's going yeah, pretty down, much at, like she's like, it's great to look at, but I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah, that uh, that battle might have been too grandeur. Yeah. Um, one I thought that was perfect was the Bahamut fight. Um, mm -hmm. Just the just the switching off between Efreet and uh, Efreet or Efreet and the Phoenix as they both try to tackle the Bahamut, and then just before Bahamut was about to fail, he absorbs uh, the crystal in him, and then he becomes like the super mega. Uh, Bahamut and he flies off into space and is about ready to launch a laser that you know would absolutely devastate the planet. Like that, that was actually a pretty like flashy battle, pun intended, because a lot of flashes. Well, that's just quick tribute. I mean, the whole game, but that battle like made me think this is a next gen game. Holy shit! Like, fun fact I think I was told that that was the Kingdom Hearts 4 team that did that one mm -hmm. so yeah, i think i read that too that the the kingdom hearts team did most of the icon uh or at least had input in most of the icon things um that's awesome so maybe a little something to look forward to in a future kingdom hearts game maybe <laughs> all right uh favorite character another again we got to be quick on this but out of all the cast of characters who might have been your favorite uh, uncle byron i think uncle byron yeah he's comic relief but he's still intelligent he's still noble he still has a complex backstory you know he's not just the stupid friend or exactly like, yep you know the the only thing and it's probably the, his funniest scene you know where he he chooses to eat instead of fight um and the and the uh the end i don't like it for his character because he's willing to fight at any other time like why like why is he going to go hide behind the the bar at this point um, true but i do enjoy but it's just eating. <laughs> yeah it's funny though I, I liked him throughout yeah uh um. For me, um, Uncle Byron was one of them. I, I did mention Sid. He is the one that I was thirsty for, in my opinion. But believe it or not, I love Gav. There's just something about Gav that constantly grew on me as time. At first, I'm like, oh, he's that annoying like friend that will, like won't leave you alone. But like, I don't know. He kind of really he's grew. Sam. Yeah. He's Sam and Samwell. 
You, you, he's a little annoying at the start, but he's a true hero. He's always there for you through thick and thin. He's pretty damn good at his job. He's sniffing out everything, and he's alive through it all. And so mm-hmm. next to Jill, understanding the loss and mourning the loss of Clive, like I could tell it really hit Gav pretty yeah. pretty badly. I, I love Gav. He's He's got my heart. I don't know if you uh, got a chance to play all the side quests. There was one with Gav, and uh, that one was also very touching because Gav's, you know, at the end of it, Gav's like, you know, I'm not you, Clive. I will never be you. Like, what's the point of, you know, me being around? I'm never going to be as awesome and, you know, brotherly and then Clive's like, no, that's not the point. I don't want you to be me. I want you to be you, Gav. Without you, we wouldn't have been able to do this, 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 and this. You know, like, who was the one that uh, saved us from in the siege of Rosaria? You know, it was Gav. It, you know, he's who did this? It was you. Like, he was, like, passing on and building up Gav, and it, you know, hinted to Gav that if anything happened to Clive, Gav had to be ready to take the leadership yeah. of the of the hideaway. And Jon Snow and Samuel Tarly had the exact same conversation. Oh! But yeah. <laughs> Another Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, this... You know, I love Jill. Sid, this Sid was definitely something special. Like, there was something very... Like, I was looking for a fault in Sid this entire time like oh he he can't really be that pious and like but honestly like even up to the end it was his goal to make a better world for everyone that's what he really wanted like he had faults that he saw himself like when he was a a soldier in the kingdom of walud you know he did not enjoy that and he wanted to like fix the world so that everyone had a chance to you know, live their life the way they wanted to. Uh, so I, I, I would have to say Sid was probably one of my favorite characters and Jill, just because her story was tragic. And I always, I'm always a sucker for the tragic stories. I don't think there was any real bad characters. Like, I think most people had, even like the villains, like I, I would like to hate them. You know, yeah. like Annabella. Like, of course, she's a bad person, but she's written well. I think. Well, that's the thing. They they really fleshed out a, a lot of their characters. Even like the super side characters, like Quentin, was a character. Martha and uh, the Dame. Um, you know, Gav is is kind of in that, but you know, there's yeah. a lot of auxiliary characters. The ones who weren't the hideaway. Like, Quentin had a very interesting story about the whole reason he created his village was just out of pure revenge uh, against this uh, judge. And then when he lost that, it's like he, he almost lost his purpose in life until Clive's like, hey, you know, you built this village from scratch. You're like one of the best pillars we have to keep society from collapsing. Like, I don't know. It, there's a lot of good characters here, but I, I gotta say, this was a very well-written game. Very well-written. Uh, well, so we're uh, we're coming to the end here. Um, I guess overall opinions. Uh, 
did we like this? Is this where how we want Final Fantasy to continue? Like, what what would we like to see from the next iteration? Steph? Well, I probably am not the best person to, to ask because I have probably played the least amount of Final Fantasy games compared to the both of you. But from the perspective of someone who's more of a, a new blood when it comes to the franchise, I personally loved it. But that is only because I prefer action-focused RPGs, so it just happened to be kind of my type. Um, other than that, though, the sh- story was incredible. The characters were memorable. The graphics and the music just hit and so- like it truly is a next-gen game. Love it. The downsides is the majority of the side missions were just go down 300 yards and kill some scorpions and bring back whatever. Um, the the part with mid was I was literally just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was like, dude, really? And then you don't even use her flying airship. You ride on Bahama. Yeah. So, mm. I mean, and that's kind of like a mi- minor thing, right? Because everything else just, just seemed pretty meaty. I don't mind the line- linearity. I, I'm not with those people that crap on linear games. I think the only other thing is, even though I like action-focused RPG, you know, maybe they could, next game, put a little bit more RPG back, right? There's only, like, a couple slots where you could wear those rings and, and you know, ability-enhancing things. Um, I don't know if you guys have any other feedback about what other things you could make more RPG-like, you know? Status effects. And- yeah. Yeah, there was no status effects. And the items. No buffing. Yeah. Um, a core part of, of an RPG, you know, is being able to customize how your character plays. Um, and, and there's a little bit of that with the different icons, but, you know, you can't be a, like, full, like, magic user. You can't, um, you know, it, it's very limiting in, in that scope. Uh, yeah, magic almost felt like a second thought, like, there was no reason to use a fire over an ice spell. No, you know, there were no um, elemental weaknesses of any sort. Um, mm-hmm. Hit the fire! Hit the fire guy with the fire spell. It does. He doesn't absorb it. He same damage. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's kind of my high level. Who Who's next? You know, I I think you know I'm currently um, doing my Final Fantasy anthology series where I'm playing through all the games again and and going into a deep dive on all the games and, you know, uh, you know, gameplay, it doesn't matter to me um, because each of the games in, in modern era, you know, from seven onward, gameplay's tweaked differently with each one of those seven plays different from eight, eight plays different from nine, you know, nine plays different from 10, 10, two is not, 10. Um, 13 is different from those, and, and 12 is different, and 13.2 is not like 13, and Lightning Returns, which is 13.3, is not like 13.2 or 13. So it doesn't matter if it's action-oriented or not. I, I think the important thing is that it hits on those core themes, which we've already discussed, which is challenging fate, fighting corrupt authorities, relationships between humanity and magic or technology, um, the governance of the crystals and elements over things, a little bit of faith discussion. Uh, of the, All of these are the key elements of Final Fantasy um, from the very first one. Um, 
And Final Fantasy 16 is is one of the few that hits on all of these in in in, in good measure. Um, you know, so I'm hoping that 17, um, if it's not a a online game like 11 and 14, um, you know, I hope that they continue to try to reinvent. Um, to push the series into another direction gameplay-wise. Um, unique, but still an RPG, be it action, turn-based, or what what have you, um, but certainly more RPG elements. And, and I think the action overall, while it's fun to play, I think it, it's fairly shallow compared to something like Bayonetta and Devil May Cry and God of War and a few other major action games. It's not, you know, it's not as good as the best action games, and it's not enough rpg as some of the action games too you know the latest god of wars are more rpg than final fantasy 16. that is kind of funny um yeah i I agree with a lot of your points there block um you know i i definitely believe that every final fantasy tries to be something a little different uh and i hope that they continue to do that uh sorry all you final fantasy naysayers that this isn't a final fantasy game it's very much a Final Fantasy game, uh, just based on Block's analysis alone. Um, like I liked the overall mature story. I hope that maybe they continue to keep the stories mature going forward. Um, I would like to see more party involvement, though. That's mm-hmm. that's something I miss. Like even though we had Joshua for a bit, Jill for a bit, Sid for a bit, I would like more characters in the party i would like to see more character development amongst each other like even though everyone did a great job i feel like we could have gotten more but all we really got was clive's story and as much as clive was a cool character he does not do a whole lot of growth like once he reached that point of i'm sid like his struggles was basically I'm, I want to do this by myself versus letting other people in. And, like, it, it just kind of made him very one-sided uh, as a character, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so, I guess maybe, like, more of a progress, like, I guess more solid straight progression instead of one where he progresses too fast. And Well, yeah, he progressed in, like, the first quarter first third of the game and then he kind of i wouldn't say flatline but he kind of maintained the court yeah he was still likable though yeah no he definitely like you know the gruff like gerald voice that he had going on the entire time and like he he still had his humor he was still a very caring but you know badass character like i I just would like to see more of a like his internal struggles spread throughout the game instead of just mm-hmm. the beginning. Yep. Other than that, I thought the game was amazing. It's it's probably at least in my top three favorite Final Fantasies out there. It's in the middle for me. It's in the middle. And it's one of your top two, Steph? Yep, it's in my top two. <laughs> Um, but I will say as far as the games that I've played this year, this definitely is high up there. I'm not sure if it'll necessarily win game of the year for me, but not because of any of its faults, but just because there are so many great games that came out this year. Oh gosh, this year has just been massive. Yeah. 
Yeah. But just, oh, it's just, it's so fun. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people, it, it's very accessible. I do feel it's accessible for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, I, I think that concludes this uh, this chapter of the Boss Rush Book Club. You know, I'm I'm grateful for uh, Steph and Black to be with me here today to be able to talk about this amazing game. Uh, we would like to know what your thoughts are if you um, after you heard this. Like, do you agree with our synopsis? What was some of the things you liked about Final Fantasy 16? You know, where where else do you want to see the series go? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Steph. Thank you again. Block, can you let everyone know where we can find you? I'm going to be Block's Gaming Reviews on YouTube, Block's Game RVWS on X or Twitter. Um, mostly on Twitter. Um, I haven't fully jumped ship yet. I'm waiting for an audience on other platforms. But Block's Gaming Reviews or Block's Game RVWS, you'll find me under those two, two handles. Um, but mostly doing YouTube videos right now um, and look forward to um, continuing my Final Fantasy anthology series where I will be doing four, five, and six and uh, side games released along those times um, during those. You doing Mystic Quest? Doing Mystic Quest, um, Final Fan- the Final Fantasy Adventure. Um, and, 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 you know, these aren't Let's Plays, but but looking into the history, looking into the evolution of the series, looking into all the ports, all of the, looking into the villains, the heroes, the themes, and all of that that makes those games um, noteworthy. Um, it's kind of a celebration of the of the series. Awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very heavy undertaking block, but we know you can do it. You got a lot of useful and very deep knowledge about well, the theme. I appreciate it. Games. like we we appreciated your insights here yeah so um well from everyone here at boss rush thank you have a great night and we will see you at the next chapter of boss rush book clubs Woo! if you want to be a patreon producer head on over to patreon patreon.com slash boss rush media and find out which tier is right for you our patreon producers at the five dollar tier or higher for this month are adriel munger Austin Campbell, Celeste Roberts, Christian S., Sana Dierig, Francisco Santillan, and Rebecca Jewell. Thank you for your continued support.